Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to say I'm the luckiest man on earth because my wife has stuck with me for 23 years. Today is our 23-year anniversary. So thank you, honey, for not leaving me. Well, this morning, um, I am going to finish up the series that we've been in called Befriending God. And it is probably my favorite, uh, not only study, my favorite expression of my relationship with God. And, and, and the, the reality is not, not everybody wants this, and I understand that. Um, we're just needy creatures. We have needs, we have desires, and we just want, you know, as Pastor Mark says, we just married God for his money. And uh, we just, you know, we, we, I understand that it's our human condition. We have needs, we have desires, and it's like, please just meet my needs, make my dreams come true, and then just leave me alone. But this does not bless God. I mean, he is such a great God and such a benevolent father and so full of mercy, and he loves to give, but God wants more than that. And my prayer today is that we would want more than that. And that what I share with you today will show those of you who truly want a deeper relationship with God, even a dimension of friendship, that something will be stirred in you today and that you'll begin pursuing that. Because here's what I truly believe. Even when you and I get stuff, the shininess wears off. And at one point, no matter how much we accumulate or how much we accomplish in life, No matter how many accolades we receive, deep down inside of our soul, we still are lacking something. And that dissatisfaction, the disappointments, the lack of joy, the lack of peace, and many times the lack of purpose cannot be solved or satisfied with external things. This place is reserved for our Creator. And it's got to be more than a Creator-creation reality. What God is calling us to is a friendship. And that is that just blows me away. As Rick, who heads up our men's ministry today, in our pre-service prayer, there are 30 people here today praying at 9.30. I'm inviting everyone to come, if you can, kids and all. At 9.30, we meet right down here, and we just begin praying and asking God for His presence and His power in our church services. But Rick said, it blows me away, as he's saying to God, that the creator of the universe would want to have a friendship with me. Think about the most satisfying relationships in your life, the ones that mean the most to you. For most people, they'll define a friendship. That one person or those two people that you can tell anything to and they won't reject you and they know you and they get you and they support you and they got your back. When everybody else walks out of the room, they walk in the room and they're there with you. That's our God. And so as he's proved his friendship to us, especially after what he did for us on the cross, and how Jesus, the Bible says, is praying for you and I every day, that's what he's doing right now. What a friend. What I want to capitalize on is us befriending him, us friending him back. I believe this truly touches his heart. And so I want to talk about how to get there from here. Now, this is not about salvation. You and I are saved by grace and grace alone. We are in if you come through Christ. Nor is this about being a son or a daughter of God. When you and I give our life over to Jesus, you immediately become 
a son or a daughter of God. But for those of you in here today who have adult children, one of the most gratifying stages of a relationship for a parent is when the children become friends. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Our, my oldest is 19. And so there's some of that taking place uh, kind of on the shallow end of that. Because when you're growing up as a child, a parent has to parent the child. And so the parent doesn't reveal everything to the child, what, the decisions we make, why we make the decisions. We do the best we can. But the child doesn't always understand and they get frustrated. But once the child begins to mature and the child begins to become independent and they start to understand life through experience, the older they get, and then they, they're in their, ni- their late teens or their early 20s, and they have their own children, and it's like, aha! <laughs> oh, now I understand why my parent was doing what they were doing, because I am now doing the same thing to my child. I get it. As you graduate, you understand your parents more, and you begin to mature, and then you and your parent begin to talk at a much deeper level about life. You share things. There's, there's more of a camaraderie there. You get one another more. And that relationship will never stop being a parent-child relationship. But there's another dimension to the relationship that wasn't there before, and that is called friendship. I use that illustration to say that is identical to the relationship that you and I are growing into or that Father desires us to grow into with God. Now, some parents never have that parent, never have that friendship with their child. Because the child doesn't ever mature. And they, there's something that doesn't mature, something that doesn't, something that's broken. Maybe it's just they got addicted to drugs and they've stayed at an at a immature emotional or psychological level. And it's a struggle their entire adult life. And that friendship never happens between the parent and the child. It's always a struggle. This is not the kind of relationship God has created us for and called us into. So I want to talk about how to get there from here. So are you ready? In uh, the book of John, in chapter 15, Jesus says a profound statement that, that addresses directly the type of relationship I'm talking about right now and the kind of relationship he wants to call us into. He says in John chapter 15, no longer do I call you servants. Which means he did call them servants up to this point. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, from this passage, I want to ask you, what is the variable? What is the element in this passage that separates a servant from a friend. Say it out loud. Information. That's good. Somebody else. Intimacy. Into me see. These guys had been with Jesus from the day he called them. And he says this to them throughout the scriptures. He said, you've been with me from the beginning. They had been with Jesus. They had lost their friends. They had lost their jobs. They had lost their religion. They had been excommunicated because they're with Jesus. They hung with him. And Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. Because the way that you have stuck with me, you've been loyal to me, even when people rejected me, called me names, defamed me, 
you guys hung with me. Now I'm beginning to open up and reveal things to you and tell you things that I have not told you before. I now call you my friend. Isn't that precious? But this friendship with God is a special category reserved for this. How do we get from there, from here to there? This is interesting. This friendship, this category with God is reserved for those who believe and obey. And this is what we're going to look at in the scriptures today. Those who believe and obey. The scripture we just read, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. There's a little tag on the front of that scripture I eliminated till this moment. So we can see that obedience, believing and obeying God, is the avenue into this depth of friendship that I'm talking about. Look at the phrase I left out the first time. You are my friends if, everybody say if, if you do what I command you. Now, why is that the case? Again, back to a parent-child relationship. When a child is combative and obstinate and disobedient, what kind of a dynamic does that create in the parent-child relationship? Frustration. And so that relationship is stuck at the level of, of combativeness. And it's at a very shallow level. There is no intimacy there's just combativeness. And this is where many of us spend our time with God. Is God is calling us to something. Or calling us away from something. But because of our independent, rebellious nature, we're like, I don't want to do, I want to do what I want to do. And it's the battle of the wills. But it's the Christian that finally completely submits to the authority of God. <sighs> When God wins that wrestling match, which is only for the creation's good, only for the child's good, because God is a good father, when that child finally yields to the father God and the combativeness is over, that peace enters that relationship. And then God begins to explain things and reveal his heart and his mind. And all of a sudden there's a, oh, I get it. But as long as there's this struggle of obedience in our relationship with God, this is not going to open up. This is why the Bible says that God revealed to Israel, his people, his acts, his miracles, his provisions, quail out of the sky. We're hungry. We're hungry. Okay, I will feed you. Quail comes out of the sky. We're thirsty. We're thirsty. Okay, I'll make water come out of a rock. Right? I mean, he's doing all these miracles. The, the Egyptian army, they're coming after us. Okay, I will split the Red Sea. So he re revealed his miracles to Israel. Just like Jesus, when he is feeding the thousands with bread and fish, with just a few loaves and fish, and they follow him. He says, you're only following me because of the loaves and the fish. I, I get that. I understand you're a needy people. But I'm calling you to a deeper level. I'm calling you to know me. And for me to know you, that, that is what's going to satisfy your soul. It's our friendship, our relationship. And he said to them, but you don't want that. Then he turns to his disciples after he preached a pretty hardcore message, trying to bring them deeper. He says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be part of me. And they're like, cannibalism? I knew he was a freak. 
So he puts out a message that's really hard, and he's testing their hearts. God will test you in my hearts with a command, with an assignment, with a leading that is uncomfortable for us. We don't want to do it. We, we don't want to go that way. We want to go this way. And yet, he turns to his followers, his, his disciples, his inner crew, and he says, do you guys want to leave with everybody else? Because the whole congregation just left. And Peter pops off and says, we have, basically my interpretation, we have no idea what you just talked about because that was weird. But you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? In other words, we don't understand what you're doing, but we're following you anyway. <laughs> and this is truly what obedience is. Obedience is obedience when you and I obey when we don't understand or we think we know a better way. That's true obedience. But, so, to Israel, he revealed his acts, his actions. They knew God as the God of miracles. And that's how many of us know God, and we're just happy with that level of relationship. But it says, but he revealed to Moses his ways. He and Moses would have these deep conversations. You read their conversations in the Bible, you're like, whoa, man. The kind of conversations these two would have, like questions and answers. And deep questions and deep answers. God loves that. He does not want a distant and estranged relationship with his kids. He wants to walk with us and talk with us and share his wisdom with us. He wants to take tests with you and give you the answers. He does. He wants to hear your heart. So I want us to look at a guy in the Bible this morning that had this kind of relationship. I want to back into it. I want to go into the New Testament. And I want to look at two people in two places where they refer to this man, Abraham. James talks about Abraham and Paul talks about Abraham. And they talk about how Abraham received this title, the friend of God. Do you know we're not just the friends of God because we sing a song. I am the friend of God. It doesn't make us a friend of God. God is our friend. Are we his friend? And so I want to, last week we looked at 10 things that God delights. And then, in other words, you have to do things that your friend likes too. It can always be about you. And that develops that friendship. You can catch that online. Today I want to look at again, how, what does it mean to be God's friend? Well, Abraham uh, received this title of the friend of God. And I want to show how this trusting obedience was the pathway into that. Let's look at this in James chapter 2 and verse 19 through 21. In verse 19, let's look at this graduation that Abraham went through until he achieved this friendship with God. So we can follow his example. In verse 19, you believe, there's that believe part, right? Believe and obey. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Very commendable. Even the demons believe. So when you and I are at the level of believing in God, we are no better than a demon. In fact, demons might have a leg up on us because it says demons believe in one God and they tremble. Most of us don't tremble. So demons may be just a cut above many of us. The whole spirit realm knows there's only one God. 
All the demons know that. So believing is the first step. But the next step is the thing demons will not do. Rebellious spirits will not do this next step. Oh, we believe, but we're not doing what Abraham did, this next step. Do you want to know, O foolish man, verse 20, that faith without works is dead? That works part is another word for actions or obedience. Look what verse 21 says. Was not Abraham our father justified by his obedience, by works, by actions, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now, we're going to look at that story in just a moment. We're going to do it quickly. But I want you to see that what God had called Abraham to do was no small thing. It was to sacrifice his only son on a pile of wood and set him on fire as a sacrifice which was a bizarre command from God to do something that the ungodly cultures were doing all around Israel. But we're going to see that Abraham came to a place in his relationship with God that he was even willing to do that. But the, but the, the distance between believing in God and obeying God is the gap between just being born again and being saved, being a child of God, and being a friend of God. You see, the belief in the action, look at what verse 22 says. This is interesting. The belief in the action is, is this. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. This word, working together, is the word we get synergy from. It's your faith and your action When they're mixed, bam, you get a miracle. So in a practical sense, it would be like, oh, I believe that if I put the key in my car and turn it, my car will start. That's great. All of you right here in this place probably believe that unless you have a real junker out there and you had to get a jump on the way to church and you're not quite sure if that's going to work. But if you have a halfway decent car and it started pretty much consistently over the last year or so, you believe that if you go outside in the parking lot and put your key in the ignition and turn it, your car is going to start, right? But sitting there believing that does not start your car, does it? You actually have to get up and go out there and put the key in and turn it. And so your belief that it will start if I do it and your doing of it, boom, create a started car. That's why Jesus many times when he does miracles, like a guy in church had a withered hand, Jesus said, stretch your hand out. He required action to faith. Why? Why is that so important? Because your action is your proof that you believe. That's what this whole passage is about. James says, some of you say, I believe, but you don't obey. He said, you show me your faith without your actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. In other words, your action, your stepping out is the proof in the pudding. That's the synergy. Some people believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they have not confessed Him as their Savior. And so they are not yet born again. You see that? Jesus had lepers come to Him, and He prayed for them, and nothing changed. Jesus prayed for lepers, and nothing happened. Then He said, go, tell the priests what God has done for you. These leprous people, noses falling off, hands withering off, body parts missing, turn around to go tell the priests how they were healed. And nothing had changed yet. 
But it says, as they went, they were healed. They believed, even though they didn't see. They believed his word. But it was the action mixed with their belief that created the miracle. Some of you say, oh yeah, I believe in tithing. But you don't do it, which means you really don't believe in it. Those who tithe believe that if you give the first 10% to God, God is going to respond to you and give you more than you gave to him. If you believed it, you would do it. Your action is the proof of your faith. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, why does this make a difference with God? How is this connected to friendship? Because when you and I prove to God that we believe him by stepping out and acting on what he tells us to do, what we're saying is, I trust you. What friendship survives if you don't trust one another? Isn't that what all true relationships are built on? Trust. I trust you. I trust you so much that I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody else. I mean, I'm not going to do that right now, but I'm saying. Because I don't necessarily, no, I'm kidding. But you don't do that with just a crowd of people. You don't do that with a handful of people. You do that with a few select people. Isn't that true? Here's what I'm trying to say to you. God does the same thing. God doesn't tell everybody everything he knows. He literally shares his heart and certain information and what he's going to do with his friends. And that is one of the coolest relationships you will ever have with God. And this is what I'm talking about today. This is what I'm calling all of us up into. God's calling us into it because I'm on the same journey that you're on. And I'm just trying to show us how to get there from here. Look at Romans chapter 4 with me. That's what James said about Abraham. Let's see what Paul said about Abraham. He also talks about Abraham. as Oh, wait, 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 wait. Go back to James. I'm sorry, I completely missed the... the uh, biggest scripture in that whole section. James chapter 2. So in verse 23 in James chapter 2. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him, credited to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. That is so cool. I almost didn't read that. All right, now let's go to the book of Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 4, Paul also talks about this friendship that God is calling you and I into. Romans chapter 4, it says in verse 20, he did not waver, this is Abraham, did not waver at the promise, the word, the Bible, the word of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, why, why does this give glory to God? Why does your faith give glory to God? And what does that mean? What does glory mean? Glory means shining a light on God so all can see him. How does your faith glorify God? Well, here's the pattern. I want you to see this. We'll go back to the scripture in a minute, Chris. But I want, to, I want you to go to uh, God's word spoken into your life. Mixed with your belief. I believe what God said to me. I believe the Bible. I believe it. 
And then your obedience or your action, what God calls you to do, God responds with his blessing, which reveals his goodness, which the Bible calls is his glory. That's right there how it works. God speaks to you. You believe his word. You act on his word. God responds to your faith with a blessing. And so God can be seen by everybody around you. That's how your faith glorifies God. It shines a light on him. Say, wow, God must be real. Look at this person's trust and the depth of their pain and suffering. They still worship God. This is what drew me to Christ. There were people around me and they had some kind of a peace or a contentment or a joy that I did not have. And they told me it was Jesus, which annoyed me because I did not want to be religious because I grew up in religion and I did not want it. But what they had, I wanted, and there was a disconnect for me until I finally went to church with them, and it was different than what I anticipated, and I heard the gospel, and I heard about this when I'm talking about you today, and I said, oh, I want that. And I went home and knelt down at 19 years old, and I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. I don't know if you're that plastic statue that's on my grandma's dashboard of her car that stares at me when I'm in the back seat and we're driving down the street and it freaks me out I don't know if you're that god that with those big statues and all that that's that's weird and freaks me out but if you're this god the god that I'm talking to you about today if that's who you are I want you in my life and he breathed his spirit into me and over the weeks and months that followed I realized he is communicating with me he's real and now it's been over 30 years, and the friendship's just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. And one day we get to see our friend face to face, and we get to live with him in his house, and it's a big house. <laughs> this is so awesome. Oh my gosh. He did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. That's how we give glory to God, not by our unbelief, but by our faith. And being fully convinced, because he came to know God and trusted him, that what he, that what he promised, he was able to perform. That's a big word we're going to capitalize in a minute. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. The same thing that James said. Now, it was not, now here we go. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord up from the dead. That's his whole point right here. This isn't just for Abraham. Abraham's ran his race. He's in heaven. Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn. How much of God do you want? Do you just want the galactical God that rains down presence on us? Or do you want a relationship with him as well? Because you can have both. One person said, well, don't seek God's face, seek his hand. I mean, don't seek God's hand, seek his face. Don't seek God's hand, seek his face. I said, well, if you seek his face, all you have to do is look down. His hand's right there. I, I seek both. The Bible says, I've gone into the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I absolutely, I, I am unashamedly crying out for everything I can get from God's hand and everything I can get from his heart and everything I can get from his mind and everything I can get from his face. I mean, I want all of him, don't you? So, Let's move quickly, but I want to, now that I've shown you the front end, or the back end, of this relationship with God, the end game with Abraham, I want us to go back and look at his life real quick, 
and how he and God connected and how he graduated into this relationship. And uh, the book of Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. This is when God is going to go wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And so he's headed to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. And he says something incredibly profound in verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Why in the world would God care whether Abraham knows what God's doing or not? Can anybody tell me? Boom. Praise the Lord. One person got my sermon today. Who was that? Jerry. Everybody. Jerry is... <laughs> I would have been so discouraged that not at least one person got that. I mean, can, do, you see what, do you see what I just saw in here? Here's the God of the universe coming to the earth to go bring destruction on a couple cities. He's, he's just angry, honestly, because of their unrepentant sin and just obstinate. Uh, it was just disgusting and gross, and God had enough of it. And so he was coming down just to take care of that. And he's headed there, and he says, well, we've got to tell Abraham what we're doing. You can have that kind of friendship with God. I don't, I don't want to do this unless I tell Kathy about it. Seriously? Yeah, hey, wait a minute. Before we go there, let's go down the street because I, I want to go tell Jeanette and David what I'm about to do. This is mind-blowing. Do you realize, you know, God did not create you and I not to have a relationship with us. And he did, the Bible does say that the heavens belong to God, but the earth belongs to us. He gave it to us. So he comes down into the earth, and he talks to us about what he's going to do in the earth with his friends. <laughs> it's just so incredible. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't reveal everything to everybody, but he does reveal things to his friends. Why? Look what he says in verse 17, and this gets a little bit bigger and fatter now and It'll apply to you even more directly here in just a second. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 18. Why should we tell Abraham what we're doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Here is a huge piece to friendship with God. Abraham was not living his own dream. Abraham was not living his life and saying, God, this is what I want to do with my life. Now you bless me. Because I've heard that you love to bless. That's not what's going on here. And that's not why God's talking to Abraham like a friend. God called Abraham when Abraham was worshiping the moon. And God says, hey, wake up. Would you rather worship the moon or would you rather worship the God who created the moon and the sun and the stars and all the galaxies? And Abraham said, well, I'll worship you. And God said, great, let's do this. And he cuts a covenant with them and they start a relationship. 
And God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a promise, son. Even though your, son, the daughter, your, your wife is barren and you're, you're beyond age, I'm going to give you a promised child. And through your promised child is going to become the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to save the world. So he gives Abraham a completely different destiny than what Abraham was on. The same thing he did with, with uh, Peter. He's a fisherman. A fisherman that becomes an apostle. Or Paul, a professional religionist that becomes an apostle for the church. You see, when you and I connect with God, God gives us His dreams for our lives. Then He invites us up into His dream. Then He provides for us along the way, not only our, our, our needs, but He provides doors and avenues and provision and resources for His dream to come to pass, which you and I are part of. And then when the, His dream is fulfilled, He is glorified as you partner with Him along the way. But I want to give an example of this. My wife is a great example of this. Eleven years ago, God spoke to my wife, which she would be slow to say was his audible voice, but it's pretty darn close. She was putting Lily down in the crib. And Lily was fussing and kicking and fighting. And No, I'm kidding. Put Lily down in the crib. And the Lord spoke to her. Global Health Initiative. I was like, what in the world? was that why would he say that to me so she goes on the computer and she puts in global health initiative and as she researches it it's a research scientist working for uh well the globe the world health organization that staves off preventable diseases or researches uh, the sources of diseases and they eliminate hopefully the elimination of diseases so and as she looked at it more and more and more i'm seeing i'm saying honey that's you that is your gift mix. That's, that, you, that is how God has hardwired you. That right there. You see, when you see a need in the world and you have giftings, I call that the crosshairs. When your giftings and your needs meet, that's the crosshairs. And Hope and I have been praying and talking about what are her crosshairs in life because she is so multi-gifted, so intelligent and spiritual and she has a deep well of compassion that... There was just this frustration of finding that crosshair. And when we saw that, I said, honey, that's you. She's like, yeah, but how in the world do we get there from here? We have three children and, you know, one of them go to school. So she started taking two online courses uh, a semester. She would put the kids down and at night she'd be on the computer. She'd be working. So she got her associates from Palomar. And then she flips and that took how long? Four years to get her associates from a community college. Little by little, obeying God, taking small steps. She believed that was the Lord, but she didn't just sit back and say, will you pray for me? She said, well, I better get busy. And she stepped out and did a small thing. And God partners with you when you step out. That's where the partnership begins. And I've sat back and watched this for the last 11 years, his partnership with her. And her giving every ounce of her energy and time uh, to this. It's not easy. God requires you and I to give every ounce of our being as he is fulfilling his promises in our life. He fulfills the promises. You don't promise somebody something and then, you, and then they bring your promise to pass. When you promise somebody something, you bring your promise to pass in that person's life. But they may have parts to play in that promise being fulfilled. So he tells her uh, what he told her. She steps out. Then she goes to San Diego State University and she finally ended up getting 
her undergraduate degree, which took you how long? She doesn't even remember it was so long. And so, and so she got her undergraduate's degree, and then she went into a PhD program. She did two years into that, and now she shifted to finish her master's, not completing the PhD, and I don't have time to tell that story, but it was the Lord redirecting, and now she's going to finish her master's in May as an epidemiologist, but, and so it's been 11 years, but just last week, she got a phone call from the very professor that she wants to work with and the very place that she wants to work at, doing the very work that she wants to do as a research science, working for Global Health Initiative. And she starts after Thanksgiving. Boom. But that was God's dream. It wasn't her dream. God saw suffering people suffering from AIDS in Africa, and he wants to do something about it. So he speaks to a human being on the earth, Global Health Initiative. Instead of just shaking it off, she researched it. And she felt it was the Lord. She believed, so she took action. And now 11 years later, boom, God's dream is coming to pass. But I'll tell you what, in the process, we've been able to see God move so powerfully in Hope's life that it's clear to see God through watching her obey him. Do you see, how, do you see the combo? God's word, your belief, your obedience, God's blessings, God's glory. That's how it works. And the end game is not just that the AIDS patients, AIDS victims in Africa are going to be helped, but God's goodness will be revealed. Therefore, God will be glorified. I have to read down through this very quickly because I've got to wrap this up. In verse 19, For I have known him. This is the intimacy piece. I have known him. What I love about that phrase is Abraham screwed up along the way. This is so important for you to hear. Hope has not done it perfectly. Abraham didn't do it perfectly. Abraham lied about his wife being his wife or his sister. And it's weird. He lied because he was afraid. Abraham didn't believe that the promise was going to come to pass. So he tried to bring it past himself. And had sexual relations with his handmaid, his, his housemaid, and had a child, Ishmael, which is now the Arab nation. Abraham grew in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't believe perfectly right off the bat. He grew in faith and he screwed up along the way, but God kept his promise. God didn't reject Abraham because he failed. He kept calling Abraham, come on, let's keep going. Come on, let's keep going. Get over that failure, let's keep going. Because the promise is still intact. We can do this thing. And 25 years later, he finally came to the place where he believed and obeyed God, even to the point where he would sacrifice his own son. Because the Bible says Abraham believed it. It says Abraham believed the promise so much because he had come to know God's character so much through walking with God for so long and seeing God 
answer and answer and answer and answer. He came to truly trust God so much that even when God said, I want you to kill your son, the Bible says Abraham was so convinced in the promise and the nature of God that he knew that even if he killed his son, God would raise his son from the dead. It didn't, this, there was not a circumstance externally that would cause Abraham to waver from believing that God would do what God said God was going to do. I'm going to read the first, rest of verse 19, and then I'm going to read one more scripture and we'll be done. Genesis 18, verse 19, For I have known him, now watch this, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, do righteous and justice, and that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I'm going to stop with that. We don't have time to go to the the rest of that story. But I'll tell you what happened was that when God told Abraham, remember all along Abraham's life, God's given Abraham's commands and Abraham's squirreling around and he's failing and he's complaining and he's arguing with God. How How come Ishmael can't be my heir? And God kept saying, because that's not my promise. That's not what I promised you. We're not doing that. We're not half-stepping. We're not compromising. My promise is good to you. Just keep following me. Until when God finally said a command that 25 years earlier, there's no way Abraham could have obeyed. You didn't have the depth of trust in God. But 25 years later, God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. You know what it says? The next morning, early in the morning, Abraham got up, sat on his donkey, and got his son and said, come on, we're going to go worship. Do you know that's the first time the word worship is used in the entire Bible? And it's connected to obedience and offering. Obedience and sacrifice. That's our worship. Not our lips, our actions, our trust. Got up early in the morning, so let's go. God said, and I don't know what the heck he's talking about just like eat my flesh drink my blood jesus god says sacrifice your son i can just imagine abraham saying i don't know what he has up his sovereign sleeve but i've come to a place where i've trusted him enough to know that what however this turns out is going to be good he promised me i'd have a child i finally have a child and i want him to kill my child but i've come to trust him his son isaac was also someone who needed faith he says dad where's the sacrifice where's the lamb and abraham turns to the servant and says my boy and i will be back after we go worship isn't that interesting we're going to go worship and we're coming back and he turns to isaac and says god will provide a sacrifice for himself man abraham had come to trust god so deeply that he knew it was going to all turn out okay And he's ready to kill his son. And an angel grabs his hand. Says, stop. 
Now I know that you fear the Lord, meaning you respect him above your own decisions, your own ways, your own will, your own dreams. You will obey God no matter what. You know what he said next? I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides your needs. And because of your faith, watch his hope. He says, David, because of your faith and obedience, I'm going to bless your children. Your children are going to be blessed and your great-grandchildren are going to be blessed because of your faith. Your faith and your trust in God isn't just for you. It's for your children and your children's children. Chris Volaton, who's a pastor up in North, Northern California, had a dream. And in the dream, there was this old man and this old lady who were sitting in a big chair and all these children and grandchildren were sitting down by their feet like this and they're listening to them. And this, great grand, this grandpa and this grandma, they were telling these faith stories to their children and grandchildren. And one of the grandchildren, in this dream, one of these grandchildren raised their hand. This is Chris Volaton having this dream. In the dream, one of the grandchildren raised their hand and said, Grandma and Grandpa, where did you get so much faith and all these stories from God? And they turned around and pointed at a mural, a painting behind them, and it was a picture of this grandma and grandpa's great-grandma and grandpa, which was Chris. The one having this dream was Chris and his wife. He said, their faith. Paul said to Timothy, the faith that was in your grandmother and was in your mother, I see it in you. Boom. Your faith in God isn't just for you. It's for your children. Because they'll see God, that he's real. Because they see you trust him, even when it's hard. And God comes through, and your children say, I cannot deny that God is God, because I've seen him in my own home. And then your grandchildren will see it, and your great-grandchildren. Where do you need to obey God? What is God calling you to? What is he saying to you that you're fearful to obey? Or rebellious to obey? You are cheating yourself. Not just from blessing but from a friendship with God. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to come to the Lord right now rather than me praying and you daydreaming about what you're going to eat for lunch while I pray. I'm going to ask that you right now come to God for yourself. I have served you up a message Now you have the freedom to do what you want with it. And I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, use it and come to God right now. And I encourage you to submit to Him as a loving Father. Ask Him where He wants you to obey you. And I'm going to give a moment. Ask Him where He wants you to obey Him. And then commit and submit to that. And watch how he responds to you when you do. So, Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you reveal to everyone in this room right now what it is you're calling them to, what to believe and what action to take. Okay, now whatever he's saying to you, whatever he's revealing to you, that's your moment. yield to him and just say yes Lord I will
I am going to do that. We're going to be begin to move from just seeing the hand of God to the heart of God. And it's going to fill your soul with peace and joy. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, here's something profound you may not know. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior right now. This very mountain that God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son on. You remember how I told you that we're about God's dreams? He's not about our dreams. We're about his dreams. God's dream was to save the world. And he was using Abraham, who volunteered to be part of God's dreams. He was using Abraham to bring the salvation of the world to pass. Abraham didn't know that. The very mountain that God called Abraham to sacrifice his son on, Mount Moriah, the one that Abraham had to journey three days to get to to sacrifice his son, is the very mountain that God sacrificed his only son on for the salvation of the world. Come on. Come on. Abraham didn't know that. He was just obeying. If you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to make Jesus your Savior. He will forgive you for all of your sins immediately. Breathe His Spirit into you so you become His son or His daughter. Right before I close this service, is there anyone in here who would raise their hand and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus this morning for the forgiveness of my sins. Will you just raise your hand right where you are? Say, I'm ready to turn my life over to God. Is there anybody in, in the church this morning to raise your hand and say, that's me. Please pray for me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Okay, I don't see any hands. Let's all stand. So this morning, we are going to act. We're going to go out and we are going to serve. God gave a dream to Franklin Graham to serve the world with shoeboxes. And millions of people have come to Christ through these shoeboxes. And now we're going to be part of that dream coming to pass. And so uh, I'm going to dismiss. We're going to turn around. We're going to head right out to the shoeboxes. Captain Mark Myers is out there. He's going to be so excited to see an army of servants coming out there to do these shoeboxes. Let's go act on a dream that God has given to one of his servants. And let's help fulfill God's dream come to pass by sending these shoeboxes to these children all over the world. Amen. God bless you.